I'm Darcy Sterling. And I'm Ashton Tardif. And this is We Need to Talk with Dr. Darcy Sterling. We're dropping this episode at the end of December. And as we wrap up another year, many of us look to January as a fresh start. It's a new year. It kind of feels like a blank slate. And it's a time when we're encouraged, at least in the Western world and particularly in America, to reflect on our life and to pick a goal to strive for in the coming year or to try to improve something, maybe kick a negative habit or a trait. I have complicated feelings about New Year's resolutions, mostly because the research is so grim when it comes to achieving them long-term. I love clients and students to have goals, but I am a fan of long-term sustainable change. And the stats on New Year's resolutions just doesn't bode well for succeeding long-term. People start off strong, but a poll conducted just this month by Forbes shows that by April, just four months into the path of a New Year's resolution, 52% of people have abandoned their goal, with only 6% following through with a New Year's resolution by the end. Now, there's a bunch of reasons for that, which we'll cover a little later, but that's only part of my issue. The other part has to do with the purpose of setting a New Year's resolution. Why do we set goals? And why do we try to improve ourselves? And if New Year's resolutions aren't the answer, what is? So let's start with the why. Why do we set these resolutions for ourselves each year when most of us know that we haven't been able to achieve them in the past and there's a good chance we likely won't achieve them this current year? It's like kind of setting ourselves up for failure. Yes, I understand that. I mean, and one begs the question, why do we continuously try the same thing that has failed in the past? Humans have been trying to improve ourselves Basically, since the beginning of time, New Year's resolutions have been around at least 4,000 years. I'm not going to try and put people to sleep right away, but basically, big picture, it started with the Babylonians, and then it got co-opted by several different religions. And these days, it's basically a secular practice. Most people, at least in America, who come to a New Year's resolution are doing it with an earnest intent to just try and do better the next year. It's got its roots in, I'll barter with God. It's kind of like a quid pro quo. Hey, if I reflect on all the wrong things I did last year and I try to do better next year, can you ensure that the next year is going to be a little bit more prosperous? You know, people were just hoping for better luck. I think today people come by New Year's resolutions sincerely wanting to improve themselves, very Mm -hmm. much wanting to do better and to self-critique and to improve because there's hope in a fresh start. New Year's resolutions are all about the fresh start. So we want to do better. But if you drill down to why do we want to do better? Why do we want different things to happen in the new year? It's ultimately because we are hoping that that's going to make us happier. If you boil down to every decision and choice that we make every day throughout our lives, it's always because we think it's going to make us happier either Mm -hmm. short-term or long-term. And so we're hoping that by improving ourselves, we're going to make ourselves happier. Right. Sorry, I'm still stuck on the Babylonians. I'm like, what New Year's (laughs) resolutions did these people have? Grow more crops? Get more meat? Like, I... For real. No, I mean... Basic stuff like that. Not, I want my scale to reflect a different number. Literally, (laughs) please stop the drought. Basically where we're going to be in the next 10 years, sadly. But anyway. (laughs) No, yeah. I mean, I actually didn't know that. And that's very interesting in and of itself. But that also 
begs the question, why is it so hard to then stick to a New Year's resolution? And obviously, people's resolutions have evolved since the Babylonian era. But for the most part, to generalize it, I would say a lot of people's resolutions are like, I'm going to be healthy and lose 10 pounds, or I'm going to make more money. Why is it so hard for us to stick to these resolutions? And also, why are we just like making them so lofty? Can they just be like maybe smaller resolutions that are more achievable? Yeah. So there's irony in why we fall off of our New Year's resolutions. What we know about motivation, psychologically speaking, is that we are better motivated to avoid pain than to seek pleasure. So there's two reasons for motivation. We're either pursuing pleasure or we're trying to move away from pain. And so with a New Year's resolution, you come by it because something about your life, let's say you're trying to extinguish a habit, get rid of a trait, minimize something. We come by it because there's a pain point. We're uncomfortable by the way we feel or the number on the scale or the way we look or the amount in our bank account. And I'll get into later how all of these New Year's resolutions, they actually wind up circumventing the very thing that they're intended to do, which is promote happiness. But if you think about it, logically speaking, as you begin to pursue a New Year's resolution, let's say you want to lose 10 pounds. As you begin to see a change in the scale, you've lost four pounds, five pounds, the pain, which was your motivator going into it, it diminishes because you're feeling better. Mm -hmm. So the very fuel source that was behind all of your actions that are necessary to lose that weight, that diminishes as you come closer to reaching your goal. So there's an irony in reaching goals. Most New Year's resolutions have to do with losing something or achieving something. And as we get closer to that, the very motivation that fueled us at the top diminishes because the pain of where we were diminishes. So you have to keep in mind that you're going to lose a lot of that fuel source that got you going in the beginning. It's the irony of goal achievement, which is why accountability is usually so helpful when it comes to pursuing a goal. Mm -hmm. But circling back to the whole purpose of this, the New Year's resolutions that we tend to land on, they're intended to bring us greater levels of happiness. But the truth of the matter is, is that we've been studying happiness for 84 years now maybe even longer. But Harvard University, back during the Great Depression, began a longitudinal study of about, I don't know, 260 some odd sophomore men. They wanted to follow them over the course of their lives to figure out what makes for the good life, what makes people happy over time. And these men, those that are still alive, are in their 80s and 90s. Like This has been going on for a very long time. And every few years, Harvard releases new takeaways and breakthroughs that this study has revealed. And what it has uncovered is that at the end of our life, we are going to evaluate our life, not by how much fame we had, not by how many books we wrote, not by our bank account or lack thereof in the bank account, not by the debt, but by one thing, love. How well did we love and how well were we loved by others? Mm. It turns out our Essence of happiness is really just about love, and it's really just about our relationships. So losing five pounds on the scale you think is going to make you feel happier, but really 
that's just a step towards what you think is going to improve some relationship in your life, mm -hmm. either your relationship with yourself or the relationship that you have with your partner or a future partner. Yeah, and I'm just so using I the weight loss thing because I, I do not endorse the weight loss thing, to be clear. Um, <laughs> I'm just using that because it is the most common New Year's resolution that people land on. So yeah. it's just the example. No, it totally is. But from what you're saying, it sounds like maybe we need to pivot our New Year's resolutions to include more love for ourselves and for the people in our lives. And this reminds me, one year I had made a, a New Year's resolution two years ago, actually. And one of the, my resolutions was to fall in love because I was very aware that I had not yet experienced that. And I was like, maybe we need to put some more, more effort into this area of our life. Now, I should have huh. been more clear about the type of love because episode one, I know we keep referencing it, but it literally like is such a landmark in my life. I wasn't super specific about the type of love um, because I got it. I did get it, but God, did it hurt. So the ending hurt. The ending yeah, hurt. The and ending there was hurt. a lot of healing in that relationship as well. Just Absolutely. on balance, to be fair. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have a question. Why do we feel like we have to wait until the new year to make these promises and resolutions for change to ourselves? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, because human beings just love, they, we love a fresh start. We love the fall. We all think of the brand new school year. You know, if school was something that was a positive experience for you, we love these new, we love these resets. Human beings love resets. When I talk to clients, not so much now, but historically clients, and I would say, hey, is it time to, do you want to look at this, that, or the other thing? They'll say, I'll do it at the first of the year. I'll do it on Monday, or I'll do it. Mm -hmm. There's always a date in mind where, where it feels like a blank slate. They can start fresh all over again. It gives us a, this sense that like, ah, this is the reset time. It's just a tradition. But no, mm -hmm. we don't have to limit ourselves to that at all. We don't have to just do some self-reflection at the new year. We could do it throughout the year. And we should, arguably. I mean, some of my best transformations and my best work on myself has happened at the most random times of my life, mostly triggered by, by events or just an intense need to reconnect. But I feel like I almost feel in opposition to the New Year's resolution, and I have for some time because everyone was doing it. And mm -hmm. I kind of refuse to put myself in that bucket of people taking up the space at the gym the first week in January. Um, Only to abandon it. Like you go to the gym in like March. There's yeah. lots of leg room. You yeah. go to the gym <laughs> yeah. in January. It's like being in a club. You're like, yeah, isn't in there. I'm yeah. like, oh, my God, this is not even worth it. I'm just going to do some crunches on the floor of my bedroom. Um, but yeah, I really feel like a New Year's resolution it should just be a, a personal resolution that you build on throughout, maybe not even just the year, but like just continue it. Don't, why do you have to give your, yourself such a strict deadline? I also realized my opposition to New Year's resolutions. I could make them a bit more attainable and easier. And I want your thoughts on this. So I make a bulleted list in my notepad now. I've done this for two years and I revisit it on New Year's Eve every year. And the bullets will range from like ugh, the cliche, 
make yada yada more money, um, cook more at home, delete Uber Eats. That's never going to happen. But I still put it down in my list. But then I also had things like read 10 books, start a book club, things that I want to do and that I know I could do that wouldn't require me, I don't know, making myself feel guilty every time I didn't do something to advance that goal. Do you think setting more of these micro goals for ourselves is maybe the key to keeping ourselves motivated to achieve these larger goals? The way to keep yourself motivated to achieve the goal is to come up with compelling reasons at the very top of why you must achieve the goal. I like to break it down into a list of 10 things that you want to get away from, 10 ways in which your life is going to be less painful, and 10 ways in which your life is going to transform when you reach that goal. So 10 negative things that are going to go away that you want distance from that you don't want anymore as a because and this is why you're choosing this goal and 10 ways in which you imagine that once you achieve the goal your life will transform and those reasons need to be so compelling people tend to shortcut this and literally do things like i want to be happier that's not going to give you the fuel source that you need. You need reasons that are so compelling that they would sway a jury. That's what I tell people. I actually learned this through Tony Robbins. I uh, This sounds I like manifesting this. and visualization to, to me. Um, It's really drilling down on why the hell do I want this goal? Because the tasks associated with achieving it are going to become mundane real fast. And I'm not even going to remember why I wanted to accomplish this. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to remember what pain I'm trying to get away from. I'm not going to remember what pleasure it is I'm trying to attain. I am just going to be stuck in front of this appointment with a trainer who I don't want to see. And I'm going to be thinking about all the reasons I should cancel. And in moments like that, you want a list of things that you can turn to to look at, to draw inspiration from. You mm. want to be able to remember. And so they have to be written personally in your voice. But moreover, if the goal of a New Year's resolution is to make you happier, then why not bypass the silly things that you're doing to make yourself happier and just pay attention to what the research says, which is you're only going to be happier if your relationships are better if they're stronger, if your tribe is bigger or tighter. That is all that's going to matter at the end of your life. That's how you're going to evaluate the quality of your life. So what I recommend that people do is pick one person in their life, one important relationship that they have, and commit to showing up better in that relationship throughout the year. What do you think about that? I think it's very interesting because I don't think that I had ever thought about a resolution outside of myself, but it makes a lot of sense because, for example, now I'm thinking something I would like to add to this year's resolutions would be to talk to my parents more, you know, mm -hmm. to initiate that contact more because, you know, that's important and that'll make them feel great. And I'm sure it'll make me feel great knowing that they feel more loved and connected. Mm -hmm. To me, I think it's a really interesting thing to think about, mostly because I haven't thought about it before. But thinking back to like, I know you brought up the point where I said book club, that actually opened the door because I did do that, guys. I did check that off my list. Thank you very much. I created it with my friends and not all of them do I see or talk to frequently. And it created a window 
of time where I could look forward to seeing them and connecting with them and talking with them that I didn't previously have. So maybe it's also about getting more granular with the smaller things in our life where we can incorporate more people. Like I guess, for example, I had put also to cook more. If I was in a relationship with somebody or, you know, I had a friend that lived super close, I would say, well, maybe I could cook more and make it something to do with my partner. Together. Together. Yeah. You know, like maybe there's just ways to incorporate that mindset into the other things that we want to achieve. So that you're you're so what you're saying is like building community into these other yeah. goals so that you are getting the yeah, the benefit of the relationship being watered as a yep. result of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you want to work out more, you want to do more classes, grab a friend, say, hey, should we start doing standing yoga classes? Or would you want to go for a run with me? Like, I think there's a lot of ways to like mindfully incorporate our community and our relationships while also improving ourselves and hitting other goals. I think that if you're going to come up with a goal that is less about directly improving a relationship and more about these are things about myself I want to improve. If you can fold in a person to do that with you, that's going to give you a home run because mm -hmm. you're going to be more likely to complete it or stick with it because there's another person. So there's a little bit of built-in accountability. You can literally achieve both of those things by folding in another person. But what I like to ask people to do is really like, I mean, you want to do a little thought experiment with like a parent right now yeah why not <laughs> we can see this unfold in real time let's pick your mom because she's fair game she's related to both of us and uh she knows we love her talk to me about the reason why you want to be in more contact with her well for starters i know that she would like to be in more contact with me it's that knowing that she is feeling the need to be more connected makes me want to be better so she doesn't have to feel that way. And also, mm -hmm. when I do connect with her, I, I'd always leave the conversation glad that I called. I It would be good for both of us, especially as I get older and she gets older. And I think it's a really good reason. So the first thing I would ask you to do is reflect back on the last year and think about the extent to which you initiated conversations with her. Are you mostly on the receiving end or are you <laughs> on the initiating end? Oh, so being a 27-year-old New Yorker is, you know, there's a lot going on and that's not an excuse. It's distracting. I unfortunately am not the kind of person that finds relief after a crazy work day in picking up the phone and calling somebody. But uh, yeah, I she has initiated or she's sent me text messages saying, I miss you. Do you remember me? Shit. Yes, I did not. Because I, I have not forgotten about her and she feels forgotten. And I, mm -hmm. no matter how much I tell her, though, I did not forget about you. It doesn't do anything to make her feel better, except for when I do pick up the phone first, which I have tried to make more of an effort to do. This um, is a great example because this is a very, very concrete relationship. And there's a very concrete action step that you can take that will absolutely be measurable over time. And that will make you feel because it will result in a better connection to your mom. Like you can literally commit to calling her once a week for 15 minutes. Yeah. Have it be a hard stop. 
I, I know that a lot of us <laughs> I gotta go. Busy. No, literally, I know that I know that speaking to my clients, like a lot of the reason why people don't initiate conversations is we're worried it's gonna take too long. We imagine mm. it's gonna be draining. We imagine it's gonna be more cumbersome than it actually winds up being. So to consistently just give a call and be like, hey, I only have 15 minutes or hey, I'm on my way home from work. Like you walk home from work. Maybe yeah. that's when you call her. That's You're going to lose her in the elevator yeah. anyway. You're welcome. Right? <laughs> I realized I need to stop putting these expectations on myself because part of the reason why I hadn't been initiating contact as much as she would like is that I felt like I wasn't in the best place emotionally to hold mm. A, a compelling conversation or B, to like literally like socially get it up. Like I didn't want her to have to talk to a zombie. I wanted to try and be the best version of myself speak with her. But then I realized like, that's not life. And that's also no. not the relationship that is necessary for us to have. A hundred percent because you're <sighs> waiting for that perfect moment and you're not going to feel refueled before you yeah. make a call like that. So best to just do the imperfect phone call because at least you're connecting in that moment. Mm -hmm. You can and also head into those calls, Ashton, with a list of things to ask her, like basic things. How are you feeling? How was your week? Once you get into a groove of knowing what her week is like, you'll have something to ask her about the next time so that you're not on the receiving end of all the questions. You're a young adult. You're a young woman now. You can approach that relationship more from an equal place of asking about her life. But that's hard yeah. to do when you don't connect very often. And one of the reasons why young adults often feel avoidant of having conversations with their parents is because they don't want the interrogation and mm -hmm. they don't know how that's going to make them feel at the end of it. Okay. And even though those questions are really well-meaning, and I call it the interrogation because like, if you're just going to pick up the phone and be like, hey, mom, and then you're going to be quiet. Yeah. The person on the other end is going to have to get it up and ask you a bunch of questions. So it, you mm -hmm. co-create the dynamic of being on the receiving end of all these questions coming at you. But if you come into it and start by saying, hey, I know you were a little off last week. How's it going? Okay. That whole exercise made sense. And I think I also talked myself through a lot of my <laughs> own qualms about even reaching out in the first place with her. Because um, some of it's just like what we do internally to ourselves. Like we mm -hmm. build it up into something bigger than it really needs yep. to be. doesn't have to be that deep. It doesn't have to be that big. The walk home is perfect. Mm -hmm. 10 minutes in, that's when you do it. Yeah. Because I know how long the walk takes. My office was the same distance from the house as yours is. So mm -hmm. 10 minutes in and you're good. It yeah. gives you solid 20. And I'm moving too, which is helpful for me because I then am like letting go some of the like stress from the work day, which is super helpful for me. Yeah, but you're, you're engaging in bilateral stimulation when you're walking and that is oh. what EMDR does to you. And uh -oh. you should always be pacing or walking when you're on a call. I do that by default. Yeah, oh, I thought I was just being annoying. Okay. No, I mean, you're also probably- Well, probably both. You know, make, making holes in your carpet and rug, but like it happens to be very natural and very healthy for you. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. I have one healthy natural habit. That's great. I have a few more. Well, um, one that we've identified today. Okay. Back to New Year's resolutions. I want to talk about what we should do instead of the traditional like- writing it down, 
like as a list or some people don't even do that. They just plant it in their mind and they're like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. But are there other methods or things that we could be doing to encapsulate the New Year's resolution or another mode of setting our intention. I recommend that people pick one relationship in their life that they want to improve and reflect on how they've been showing up for that person for the last 12 months and committing to doing it better in the coming year. And starting by writing out a list of reasons why you want to improve that relationship. What are the things that's going to make better? And what are the pain points it's going to extinguish? What are the negatives it's going to get you away from? So if your goal is to be better connected to your mom in 2024, maybe one of your pain points is, I am tired of feeling guilty when my mom sends me a text and says, do you remember you have a mother? I don't want to feel that way anymore. So that's one of your compelling reasons for doing this. And then that that's like on the negative side of the list. You really want to come up with compelling reasons because as I said before, that's going to be your fuel source. The tasks become mundane. They become boring. Yeah. I mean, but I, I think I also just want to clarify from you. What if we have multiple goals that don't just involve improving one relationship? Or are you saying that by improving this relationship, that is then going to lead into our motivation to accomplish those other goals? No, what I'm saying is that the whole purpose, let me hear what your goals are for the upcoming year. Just give me an example of one. One of my goals for the coming year is to spend more time journaling and meditating. Why? Because I want to be able to understand more about my life and what's going on and what I want. And how do you imagine that's going to make you feel when you better understand what you want? Grounded clear, not as confused. And I'll have a goal. Sometimes I feel like I am just swimming and I don't know what I'm looking for. And I love the feeling of having a goal that is clear and mm -hmm. I feel the motivation to do it because nothing motivates me more than when I'm excited about something and I'm crystal clear about what I want. So I, pursuing yeah. the goal makes you feel excited which ultimately, if we distilled it to its basic element, makes you happy, right? Yes, I would say. I would say that's fair. If you're going to follow the research, the thing that's going to make you the most happy is improving a relationship. Because going back to that Harvard study, at the end of your life, you're not going to care about how much you meditated or not. And I'm not shitting on meditation. I think everyone should do it. I try to do it. <laughs> she rolled her eyes for those who can't see. <laughs> I did. I did. Because like there's a constant internal dialogue that's that's calling bullshit on everything that comes out of my mouth. And I'm like, yes, but. And I'm like, go away, please. That's not part of this conversation. Um, painfully human here. It's going to make you happier. Your Everything you want to do is going to make you happier. I certainly recommend reflecting and being grounded. But I also am telling you the biggest bang for your buck is going to be improving a relationship. How you go about achieving that goal can be unique, but I do suggest that you start with the essence of the reasons behind it, because 
the tasks associated with reaching it become boring and annoying and we stop doing them because all we can think about is the annoying task in front of us right now. We can't remember why we ever came up with this goal. The, the person that we want to improve this relationship with, is there a specific way or type that we should be prioritizing? For example, if we're in a relationship, should the goal be to improve it with that person or should it be a friend? Should it be a family member or is it very subjective? It is subjective. Not everybody's got a partner um, and not everybody's got a family member, but I hope most people have someone they can call a friend. It goes like this, Ashton. When you first meet somebody, let's just say it's a friend, a partner, it doesn't matter. They're seeing a very different version of you than one of your best friends sees on the regular today, well, well. especially yours, because yours met you in middle school. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> you no longer are performative. I'm, no. I'm, I'm assuming you go right to the meat of what it is mm -hmm. you're talking about. There's not a lot of preamble, but the new people in your life, they meet shiny Ashton. They meet shiny Darcy. <laughs> they get Darcy turned up. They yeah. get me I get it up for new people in my life in a way that I wish I did for you and for Steph and for Danielle and for your mom. But sometimes I suck and I don't do it the way I want to do it and the way I know I should do it. If I take any of those relationships and I reflect on how I showed up in the last year, I can land on several examples of ways in which I allowed the normal rattlings of life and bitch slapping that comes with life to impact those relationships and the way I showed up to those relationships. And what that looks like is me showing up and complaining or me showing up and not having thoughtful things to discuss with the people or me showing up and not even thinking that I have to think about what comes out of my mouth, which is the truth. You actually do have to think about what comes out of your mouth and how you're going to greet people. It turns out there's a four to one ratio of negative to positive that you need to have in a good relationship for it to feel fulfilling for both people. So for every negative thing you bring to that relationship or discuss, you need to discuss four neutral or positive topics to just balance that out. So if you think about how most of us go into our most comfortable, long-lasting relationships, we go right to the complaints. Uh -huh. We go right to how bad our life was. Our boss was this. Traffic was that. The date was this. We're not necessarily mindful of how mm -hmm. much positivity we're bringing into that relationship. And I'm saying that that is a way to improve our relationships. Even if you just think about the content that you bring to relationships, they need to be more positive. They need to be more thoughtful. We have telephone voice or like Zoom voice. Mm -hmm. You know, suddenly people are articulating their words and it's like very obvious that's not how we talk to our family. We just, we shortcut everything. So if you look at any of those relationships and you just ask yourself, how did I show up in the last year? How can I improve that? That is yeah. what I'm suggesting. Also, this just made me think hearing this, why did I show up? Why did I reach out to this person? Because I know everyone has a friend or has had a friend where they only reach out or connect with you when they want to bitch about something. And then you kind of feel like an emotional dumping ground. And more often than not, you end up leaving that conversation feeling depleted. Like, 
okay, also, what did I get out of that? Like, it's just like negative. So, and I hate to say this, I'm guilty of this too, especially with my closest friends. It's like, Mm -hmm. when was the last time that I reached out to them to share something amazing that happened to me? Like, and then why don't you? They, because right. that's why an don't interesting I? conversation. Yeah. Like, I can imagine the reasons you don't. So you tell me, why don't you? I, I don't need the support or I don't need someone else's opinion, which is not the essence of connecting with somebody. It's to no. share. It, it's to to let them know, like, something great happened to me. I would love to hear, you know, about your life after I share this great thing that happened. Right. I, I would argue that a lot of people don't do it because we worry we're going to make other people feel bad about their lives. If they hear something good going on in our life, we don't want to brag. We don't want to flex. Mm. What if they don't have the thing that we're getting? They have to be able to celebrate you even as they're going through their yep. own hardships. You know, yep. of course, be sensitive, but also you're entitled to be happy. And there's no amount of unhappiness that's going to neutralize someone else's misery. You're Mm -hmm. never going to be miserable enough to make a miserable person happy. The only thing that can fix that is them. And I would argue that a lot of our complaining can be outsourced to shrinks. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) We don't have to dump that on our friends. Friends are good, but we want to be mindful of how much we're dumping on them. And we also want to be mindful about asking about their lives. What is going on with them? Mm -hmm. How are they doing? These are things that people don't teach us. Luckily, I'm so blessed with the friends that I have where they're so emotionally tuned in and intelligent where they would never let a conversation go by where they didn't ask me a question. And I feel the exact same way because I genuinely want to know. I think that's a good place to hit pause. You want to read us out? We need to talk with Dr. Darcy Sterling as a Sterling Standard production. This episode was produced by Darcy Sterling with editorial support from Vicki Bergolina. Editing by Bart Miguel and Stephanie Sterling. Our theme music is by Trending Music. Special thanks to Amanda Cristiani. If you like today's show, please follow us by searching We Need to Talk with Dr. Darcy Sterling wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have a question you'd like for us to answer on a future episode, please send us an email to darcy at askdrdarcy.com. We'll be back on Tuesday with another episode packed with relationships and dating hacks you won't get anywhere else. Thank you, Ashton. Thank you.